Hello and welcome to the Room of Lives. I'm your host, Neil. Today we are getting to know Jiawen Yu, who goes by Jackie. She's a data scientist in Los Angeles who designs algorithms to predict health outcomes based on medical history. She likes to read and write fiction, especially sci-fi, think about philosophy, and is a reservoir of many interesting ideas. I will first tell you how we met. So one of my roommates is a guy I met at a 10-day silent meditation retreat. He's getting a bachelor's in physics and computer science at a college where everything is online, so his classmates don't physically live in this city. Several months ago, one of his classmates traveled to our city and came to our house to see us. She's Chinese and brought along her high school friend from China, who also lives in the U.S. now. This friend was Jackie. We spent an interesting evening together, but I didn't really get to learn much about Jackie. And she remained this unknown friend-of-a-friend-of-a-friend character. A month or so later, I traveled to Los Angeles for academic reasons. I needed a place to stay for a couple of nights. Jackie lives there, and I asked her, and she offered me a couch. It was when we met during this trip that it emerged that we had great overlaps, not only in our studies and work, but also in our personalities, interests, philosophies, and views. We went to an EDM concert, a psychedelic art show, and talked a lot about ideas, stories, and perspectives on life. Recently, I traveled to LA again with the explicit purpose of visiting Jackie. This time, I took a microphone and recorded our conversations on some topics we had decided beforehand. This first part of the conversation is an introduction to Jackie, where we learn about her growing up in China, reading too much, about what drives her in life, and what she would do with her life if she didn't have to make a living. She tells us a cool sci-fi story she has read, and the opening of a novel that she has composed herself. Then she tells us the real story of the time in her life when suddenly she began to hear her own heartbeat very loudly all the time. If you enjoy visiting the Room of Lives, consider supporting me by donating Dai or Ether to abhranil.eth. That's A-B-H-R-A-N-I-L dot E-T-H. So, Jackie, yes. tell me, tell me about yourself. Okay, what do I want to know about you? I want to get a kind of con- concise description okay. of, you know, where you were born, what was your childhood like, what was your upbringing like, what has been happening in your life until now. Yeah. Like, you know, just kind of... That's a lot of information. I know, it's a lot of information. But I want to make some sense of Jackie, the person, 
what do I need to know? I'll try my best. I yeah. don't think I even have the right information to make the most sense out of myself. But yeah. yeah. So I think just to summarize myself into maybe a hundred words or something. We um, can take more words than that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Glad to know there's no word <laughs> limit. Um, so I grew up in China. I basically spent the first 18 years of my life, actually 17 years of my life there before college um, in a little city in China that's called Fuzhou and then I took the SAT I took the language test and I attended school here in the United States um, and in college I was majoring in statistics and psychology and I was minoring in computer science um, yeah, and then after college, I stayed and became a data scientist. Right now, I'm a data scientist working in a biotechnology company. And a lot of the problems I'm trying to solve involves predicting disease outcomes for people. Like, for example, what's the likelihood and when a person is going to have a heart attack in the future, given some of their historical data, which I think is pretty cool work. Um, to be able to, you know, come up with this algorithm that would maybe help with a diagnostic sometimes. Yeah, and then I think outside from work, there's a lot of things I enjoy. Um, reading, watching movies, and um, practicing Krav Maga. Beating people up. <laughs> Beating people up, basically. Yeah. Yes, love that. Fantastic. Um, yeah, and then, you know, eating good food or just in general sitting under a tree and chill for like the whole day. I think that's, that's pretty cool too. Yeah. Do you think I should provide any additional information or yeah. is okay. that pretty good? That is already pretty good. Okay. Okay. What drives you in life? <laughs> Well, you just asked me this question today, but I guess I should. Yeah, or but I, I could did not repeat. Ask yeah, you on I record. could. Okay, so now you're asking me on record, and I'm answering you in record. Yeah. I think what drives me most, and I might sound very idealistic, it might sound very grand, um, but what actually drives me the most is to make people suffer less, ultimately, and I think that's also the reason why I'm doing the things that I'm doing right now. Um, because I think through disease prediction or cardiovascular prediction, I'm helping a specific population. Um, you know, maybe based on my algorithm, they could be able to be put on treatments earlier and then they could have a longer life and things like that. So yeah, I think eventually, well, also just to clarify, I'm not saying it's going to be the only way in which, you know, I or any other people that could help other people suffer less. There could be tremendous ways in which it could be achieved. Like you could write stories, you could direct movies, you could do a lot of things to, you know, help people suffer less in one or more direct or indirect ways. Yeah. Mm. Okay, could you repeat for the audience <laughs> what you would do? if you did not have 
to make a living like you're making a living right now yeah so if i don't have to work if i don't have to worry about my um i would probably choose to write i would probably choose to write stories um create fictions maybe become a journalist or become a screenwriter yeah and the reason for that is because i think creating stories is pretty nice in a way that it could kind of connect people together and it makes empathy much more possible for someone who's living in different realities compared to other people yeah i think showing people what what's possibly happening on the other side of the of the world is one of the most effective ways of connecting people together despite you know the different environment they're living the different cultural background they're from but kind of find this core thing that's common mm. existed in all human humanities and mm. just kind of find that connection so the last time i was here visiting you yep you told me the beginnings of a story that you had composed in your head mm -hmm. do you remember it i have a lot of beginning of story that i compose in my head you have to be more specific okay so this particular story i don't know if you read it somewhere or you thought of it yourself but it began with this artificial intelligence and everyone wants to know how it works or something like that or like there's this like big robot artificial intelligence thing and the creator of the artificial intelligence allows one journalist to come. Oh, the, the story of Tsimabu. Oh. Yeah, okay. it's not it's not a story I wrote. Okay. Yeah, I didn't say it was a story I wrote, but it's a it's a story from the Netflix original series. It's called Love, Death and Robot. Uh, okay. Yes. Yes, but please for the audience sake, <laughs> could you complete that story? Because I think it's a quite interesting one. I haven't, I don't actually know what the story is like. Oh. Or the, so the beginning of the story was, what was, you, can you tell me the beginning? The beginning is, so there's this really famous artist, his name is Zima. And this artist is particularly famous because of this, you know, mysterious, amazing blue that he kind of created. And oftentimes his work would just be this gigantic um, painting of blue that he created, but people are so fascinated by the, by the color itself. So they start to call this kind of blue Zima blue. Yeah, and this, this artist became ultra rich because how people like and recognize his work. So he bought like a little I think a little planet or something. So this this story happened in the future, obviously. And this artist bought like a little planet just as if you would buy like a little island if you're on Earth. And um, he was hoping to spend the rest of his life there. And then one day, a journalist got like a request from this artist, Zima, you know, asking, would you be interested in doing an interview with me? And the journalist is like, wow, because previously 
Zima has been like super low-key and hasn't been accepting any interviews at all. So the journalist thought it would be a great idea to know, you know, what's actually going on in this great artist's mind and how did he come up with the idea of Zima Blue and where is the color originated and all that. Yeah, so um, the journalist then said yes and it was the journalist was sent to the planet that the, the artist was living. But then the artist told the journalist that the journalist couldn't bring any digital device for recording. And just kind of based on the context, because this happens in the future and people in the future all leave like 500 years or, this, or something like that. So after a certain time point, I think their memories start to um, max out the brand space so future human beings all have this kind of I don't know like a mechanic memory little flash drive or something in their brain which just keeps track yeah. of things that's happening and it's kind of like a, a mammal you would have but in a much more like artificial intelligence way I guess um, just keeps you just help you document everything so you don't have to remember things yourself. But Zima is like, no, you're not allowed to bring your little like brand flash drive into the interviews that you're gonna have with me. You're gonna remember things with your, purely with your brain. So the journalist is like, okay. Then Zima, Zima saw the, the, the journalist and then they sit down, they started to have a conversation. And Zima wanted to tell the journalist his life story and where did that blue come from. Yeah, so Zima was telling the journalist how, you know, just one day suddenly that he had this urge of depicting this blue that he had never seen before. Um, and he was wondering himself as well, why, you know, would I have this kind of urge of painting this blue that I have never seen for once in my life. So he started to search places, trying to find answers, um, tried a lot of things, went to a lot of places and asked a lot of people, but then he didn't get the answer he, he wanted. Until one day, he found this little planet and then he, he found this cute house that's in the center of the planet and there's this swimming, swimming pool um, in the backyard of the house and then it was a pretty old swimming pool so he was trying to have people clean <coughs> the swimming pool and stuff and they found they found this very similar blue color at the bottom of the swimming pool. And of course it's faded because it's, it's, it's been there forever. And someone told Zima, oh, we found a very similar Zima blue at the, at the bottom of the swimming pool. So Zima went there. And then Zima saw the blue at the back of the swimming pool, at the bottom of the swimming pool. And then he, automatic, he automatically decided to wipe the bottom of the swimming pool and he was like he had no idea why he did that but then he came to realize 
or his memory came to realize that he was actually many 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 years ago he was actually a robot that was in charge of cleaning the bottom of a swimming pool that's painted this kind of blue and that's why he was so obsessed with this blue because that's what he had seen for almost the entire course of his life and then a scientist found found him i don't know like somewhere and decide to transform this kind of very rudimentary robot that was in charge of cleaning the swimming pool into a much more intelligent creature mm. and into a much more higher being like a super artificial intelligence or the ultimate form of of ai or something like that and he did, did become that and nobody have ever questioned that you know whether it's him as a human being or not but deep down in his heart he recognized his root because of this unique color hmm. yeah that's interesting yeah so yeah that was a that was a long story yeah yeah can you tell me again about the time when you started hearing your heartbeat <laughs> sure um so i think about three to four years ago um i've encountered some personal difficulty in my life and it was a really hard time for me and i think due to stress level and the change of environment and all of the other mental you know factors i started to develop a kind of disorder that's called positalic tinnitus which means i would hear amplified heartbeat and blood running through my veins um, in my ears in a much more louder volume especially in the middle of the of the night so for about six to seven months i had trouble falling to sleep because i would be annoyed by my own heartbeat but there's obviously no way of stopping my own heartbeat um, except for killing myself <laughs> which i'm happy that i didn't do that so so yeah it was a it was a kind of rare disorder and i went to a doctor and the doctor told me honestly there's isn't much that he could do and one of the reasons is also i had very a few very narrow vessels on the back of my neck so i would have a much higher blood pressure on the back of my neck um, in the region in which the blood vessels are connected to my ear so i guess that's part of the problem as well so at that time he told me unless i decide to do a surgery and um, widen my blood vessels on the back of my neck otherwise i'm probably gonna have to leave with the, the voices of my heartbeat for the rest of my life yeah. yeah but fortunately i think after seven seven months ish um it gradually went away and right now i almost can't hear it except for when i'm like super stressed again then mm. it comes back sometimes okay yeah um So you said it that it was so loud sometimes that you just couldn't concentrate on what other people were saying. You're, you're right. Yeah, yeah, right. 
um yeah so i was having a hard time having conversation or just simply talking to people by then because i would get easily distracted and became frustrated that my own heartbeat is so loud that everything became background noise to me yeah. like the only thing i could focus on is just the frequent of of my heartbeat yeah 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 so i was i was probably very antisocial for that um yeah. entire period because i just don't want to hear any sound from other people or i can't have a normal i couldn't have a normal conversation i guess yeah. so you said that you were glad that you didn't actually end up killing yourself yes but did you ever have the thought no it wasn't it wasn't much more like a suicidal attempt or something but much more just like i want this voice to stop mm. and the, the only way that voice could stop is if i stop my own heart so yeah i want the voice to stop but mm. i didn't want to die i see when you were 14 years old how old did it seem you were <laughs> i like how you're like asking those questions based on our conversations yeah <laughs> earlier in I the day i just want to get or to present like a glimpse of jackie you sure yeah so when i was 14 i feel like i was mentally um probably like 24 or 25 mm. yeah because i started reading a lot of things um in a relatively young age and for some things, I wasn't sure, you know, if it was wholesome or if it was good for myself to start reading in such a young age. But I did anyways, so I guess it didn't really matter that much. Um, but, but yeah, so, so I started um, asking a, a lot of questions about my life and this world when I was like 12, 13. And I would think a, a lot about intangible things like philosophical questions and stuff like that so when i was 14 i probably had a mental age of a 25 year old and right now i'm 22 but i feel like my mental age is probably like the same as neil or something like that <laughs> like 30 or something yeah like 30 probably yeah i wouldn't be surprised yeah so what is something that you read that you were not sure if it was wholesome for you to be reading at 14 um have you heard of the Russian writer Dostoevsky? Yeah. I think that's something I wasn't sure if I should start reading when I was 12. But nobody told you about it. It's, you, you started reading it and then based on what you were reading, you felt like maybe this wasn't... Obviously, thing. I didn't feel that way when I was 12. Yeah. And I guess the same goes to um, some of the philosophers that I was kind of reading work from well i guess camus could even be one of them maybe so when you got older you felt like maybe you shouldn't have read those things when you were that young the, the feeling i got later on is that i would have become or probably would have become a much ha happier kid if i didn't start reading those things <laughs> in a relatively young age I see. yes yeah. yeah that i probably wouldn't have all those thoughts in my head and yeah, I would probably be more carefree. Yeah. yeah. In general, do you feel like you're happy now? 
yes, I think in general right now I'm pretty happy. Um, but also it depends on how you define happy, right? I think I almost know for a fact that it's kind of impossible to be happy for the entire course of your life or for like 90% of the time that you're having right now. But as long as my expected value of being happy is somewhere around 50% of my time, then I think I'm in general pretty happy. <coughs> and it doesn't matter if there's like, I don't know, like depressed times or times that I feel frustrated because that's almost always going to happen. Mm. But as long as I'm having those cheerful moments mm. as well as those sad moments, then I think I'm all good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so to conclude this introduction, tell us a little story opening that you have come up with. Of my story? Yeah. Yeah, so um, I think one of my in one of my stories, I, um, <coughs> I was trying to write about this writer. Mm. And this writer is trying to write a story in which there is this um, protagonist that has well it's basically a, a novel about growth that the writer is trying to compose um, and then the protagonist was a little boy and it was like the he was seven or eight years old when the story first started and the writer wrote about the whole life story of this boy but decided to that the boy die when the boy is like 23, 24 or something, you know, because it's supposed to be a tragic tragedy or the writer decided that it's going to become a tragedy that he's writing. Yeah. But then somehow the boy on his 22nd birthday, which is exactly a year before he's going to die in the book, got to know that the writer decided to let the boy die on his 23rd birthday. And somehow he just de developed this kind of self-consciousness that he decided that he's not going to just sit there in the, in the world of the book and let the writer kill himself. So he started to try find ways of escaping this book world and find an access towards the reality, or I don't even know if that's going to be a, re a reality, but like the outside world, um, and have a conversation with his creator and trying to argue for his own destiny. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty cool. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you for visiting us today in the Room of Lives. In the next part of our conversation, Jackie and I discuss a Facebook post by the photography project Humans of New York, which brings together many of our overlapping interests and views about consciousness, the absurdity of life, and the motivations for living.